Hey, all you Frady cats and kittens. I'm Whitley. And I'm Brian. And I'm Lennon. That's right. We have a special birthday guest this week. Little Lenny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you say hi to everybody. Hi. You don't gotta yell. It's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna scream it from on top of a mountain. <laughs> Are you excited to be here? Yes. Yeah. Lennon, for his birthday, which is the day this airs, um, wanted to tell all of you guys his very own personal, not his own personal, this didn't happen to him. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to tell you guys his paranormal story that he's been wanting to tell. So him and Brian did some research, and we're going to let them go first this week to tell us their paranormal story. Is there anything you guys want to say before we start? Like, how was your week? Lennon, how was your week? It Tell was us. good. I got student of the month. You did get student of the month. And Grayson, Grayson both did? Oh, wait. You did too? Yeah. I, I was thinking Grayson. Today. Super yes, exciting. Both of them got it in the same month. That's pretty cool. Hmm? You are the student of the month. <laughs> <laughs> You're the lemon of the month. <laughs> how was your week, Brian? Pretty good. Getting a lot busier at work and just makes the week go by faster. It's us closer to Disneyland, even though it's months away. Right. <laughs> um, I am sick, so I want to apologize to everyone for my voice because I sound like garbage. But we're pressing through. But if that tells you how my week's going, that's how my week's going. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lenny, tell us what you're going to talk about. The Goatman's Bridge. I've never heard of the Goatman's Bridge. What is that? Um, it's like... Uh, don't be awkward. It's cool. It's <laughs> a haunted bridge in Texas. It, yeah. Okay. Well, and he's going to so tell you all about it. All right. Tell us about it, buddy. <laughs> the Old Alton Bridge is a historic iron bridge that spans over the muddy waters of Hickory Creek. And next, the city of Denton to the city of Copper Canyon, a little less than an hour's drive from Dallas. The bridge's architectural composition is known as the truss, a visually visually distinct structure of connected elements forming triangular units these units are usually stressed from the tension compression compression or both in order support heavy loads heavy loads were exactly what the bridge was intended to support when the king iron bridge manufacturing company 
commissioned in 1884 in a time predating cars, massive cargo carriages drawn by Tetsuki workhorses workhorses. became the bridge's most frequent users gradually these carriages were replaced by automobiles which were supported equally by the bridge's sturdy trust structures. Oh man, take over. Okay, so Brian's going to tell you some more about it. So the old Alton derives its name from the now abandoned town of Alton, which from 1850 to 1856 served as the seat of Denton County. Though the community is no more, the name remains. Although as far back as the 1930s, the bridge has taken on a second, much more sinister nickname, Goatman's Bridge. For decades, the Goatman's remained as consistently in use as it had in the 1880s. However, this changed in 2001 when vehicle traffic was redirected to an adjacent, more contemporary concrete and steel bridge. This change was enacted to correct a glaring problem that had arisen when the bridge transitioned from carrying horses to carrying cars. Before the new bridge, drivers had to signal with their horns before crossing the single-lane bridge as there was room for only one vehicle to pass at a time. So it kind of reminds me of that bridge in Caldwell where we, are. we always take our pictures. Oh, okay. So, it kind of like, I mean, the pictures and stuff, it kind of reminds me of how, like, old that one is and stuff like that. The newly improved bridge solved this problem as well as straightened out a sharp curve on both sides of the creek. With cars and all their noise safely out of the way, the old Alton Bridge was free for hikers and nature lovers to pass safely. The bridge also became an important junction connecting the Elm Fork Hiking Trail to the Pilot Knoll Hiking and Equestrian Trails, reverting the bridge back to its original use of transporting horses and their riders. Along with hikers, bikers, and horseback riders, the old Alton Bridge and surrounding wooded areas have become a popular destination for bird watchers and nature photographers. In July of 1988, at just over 100, the old Alton Bridge landed a coveted spot on the National Register of Historic Places, as well as recognition as a Texas historic landmark. Signs found around the area clearly denote the special place the bridge and surrounding woods have in the community's hearts, including one which reads, I have many memories of the old Alton Bridge, and I love every one of them, a quote attributed to Wayne Stewart Ryan. Despite the warmth the community displays toward the bridge, another feeling altogether permeates the hot summer air when wandering down the old Goatman's Bridge at dusk. The feeling of deep, Almost primordial terror of what lurks beneath. So, these next things are some haunted happenings that people have seen there. So, do we want to let Lennon tell us some of the haunting stuff? Do you have any that you just remember off the top of your head? Mm-hmm. You can read it if you want. I just didn't know if you knew any off the top of your head that you could just tell us the story. Okay, go ahead. Well, some bridges are incredibly inhabited by... Pesky creatures such as trolls, the old Walton Bridge, harbors a monster of a much darker nature. The ominously named Goatman has been described by 
witnesses a truly frightened sight plot straight from a nightmare or the yellow pages of a book of tales. <laughs> the yellow pages. According to the report, the goat man stands eight feet tall with the chest and arms of a man, the hindquarters, and hooved feet of a goat, and the a frightened... Hold on. I can't see. Yeah, that's all messed up. Hold on. Okay, so he has the booty, or he has the top half of a man, yeah. and the booty of a goat. When he says hooves, I just picture, um, remember Freddy got fingered when he's one of the characters, and he's like, I've got hooves. <laughs> <laughs> all I remember is, Daddy, would you like some sausages? Stacy's favorite part. Yes, Stacy loves it when I ask her <laughs> if she wants some sausages. <laughs> okay, so the hindquarters and hooked feet of a goat. And a frightening goat head, complete with a huge curled horn and a glowing eyes. Some reports describe the goatman's fur as a deep fiery red, while others describe his coloring as black as night, so black you could hardly see him as he moves through the edges of the trees. Wherever a sighting of the ghostly figure occurs, a string of mysterious disappearances is sure to follow. Some believe the Goatman's remains torment for years at a time and awakes only to hunter Others legends killing the demon focuses on his name. So according to legend, those who dare speak the Goatman's name while crossing his bridge unwittingly summon his spirit. While the Goatman is said to sleep beneath the old Elton during the day, he habitually creeps out from under it to hunt for food at night, returning only at the sound of his name. If his name is uttered during the day, he is awakened and is often even more vicious due to the disruption of his sleep cycle, or so the story goes. Legend further holds that the Goatman's Bridge provides a gateway into hell. Visitors crossing the bridge at exactly 3 a.m. have reported horrific visions of fire and brimstone, those fortunate enough to return, that is. Who's just crossing a bridge at 3 a.m., though? There's people. Just for the Goatman? Like, probably. <laughs> They're like, we want to see if this guy's real. Right. So a second spirit is often said to keep the goat man company, that of a young mother crying out eternally for her lost child. Re- <laughs> you lost? You lost, boy? Residents making their way over the bridge late at night have reportedly heard her ghostly wails, and others have spotted her crying at the bridge's center. When approached, the woman is said to vanish. Some say the two ghosts are connected, and that years ago, the goat man stole the young woman's baby. When she found out, she threw herself from the bridge, and her spirit has haunted it ever since. That'd be crazy. <laughs> the goat man just steals your baby, right. and your first thought is, I'm going to just jump. Right. Sorry, Lennon, but if someone stole you, I mean, I'd chase them, for sure. But I'm not going to jump off the bridge. I'll probably want to if he died, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from demonic satyr, 
Satires? 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 The side? Satire. Off the of Ridiculous Six. What was it? Around this story. Wasn't it? What did this? It was when it was, um, the. Was it Tom? No. I'm thinking of. It's not Tom Sawyer, it's the person who wrote Tom Sawyer. Yeah. 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 I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> it's David Spade and uh, no, it's Blake Shelton that keeps saying satire. Yeah. What is he? Who is the guy he played on there? Um, the guy with the fast hands. Billy, no. Billy the Kid. Is that who it was? I can't remember. We suck. It's Blake Don't Shelton. quote us on this. <laughs> I just know he put some satire on him. So aside from demonic satire. The second version of the story seeks to explain the origins of Goatman's Bridge. According to this story, a black goat farmer by the name of Oscar Washburn and his family moved into a home located just north of the old Alton Bridge. Question. Was he farming black goats or was he black? He was black. Okay. And was a goat farmer. Okay, I was just like he was just like that's weird. I'm farming black goats. That's just a very niche thing, right? <laughs> I only take the black goats. That's it. <laughs> so within a few years, Oscar had built a reputation for himself as a reliable and trustworthy businessman and a valuable member of the community. Many of his neighbors bestowed upon him the affectionate nickname the Goat Man. However, not everyone was pleased with Oscar's newfound success and acceptance within the North Texas community. A vicious and hateful group of Klansmen working in the local government began to conspire against him, waiting for Oscar to slip and give them some excuse to be rid of him. Their chance finally came that summer. Unaware of the plot against him, Oscar had rather harmlessly installed a sign on the old Alton Bridge reading, this way to the Goatmans. In response, the members of the clan employed at the local police station drafted a law making it illegal to solicit anything at the bridge and duly arrested Oscar so in wait, August of 1938. He posted the sign, then they, they made mad. the law? Yeah. Well, they got mad because he posted the sign, so then they made a law saying you can't post signs on the bridge. That's the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Right? So, the Klansmen... So, the Klansmen, however, did not exactly follow due process of the law. Obviously. Instead of reading Oscar his Miranda rights, the men assembled a vicious mob to cross the bridge and kidnap Oscar from his home. Wait, when was this? 1938. Miranda rights weren't even around then, were they? I don't... I wouldn't... I think so, if police were around then. Well, Miranda rights came about because of a guy, his last name was Miranda. He didn't know his rights, and that's why they now have to read the Miranda rights. I don't know when that was came about then. I don't know. This... Okay, I don't know the year either, so you could so, be right. Anyway. The men dragged him to the bridge where he they had prepared a noose. After securing it around Oscar's neck, they tossed him over the side. But when they checked the news to ensure that Oscar had died, they were in for quite the shock. The noose was empty. In a panic, the mob fled from the bridge 
To this day, no one knows exactly how Oscar was able to evade the mob's wrath, but legend holds that the name Goatman's Bridge came about to honor him. So they hung him, but then when they came back, he was gone? Yeah. That's weird. Do you think maybe his family came and got his body because they were like, this is BS? I don't know. Maybe? Yeah. That's crazy. He just disappeared. Right. So other than strange happenings recorded at the bridge, including strange lights being in the surrounding woods, along with reports of visitors feeling hands grab at them in the dark, or a rain of socks pelting them as they cross the bridge. Due to the <laughs> you let in are you throwing your dirty socks at Pelt, people? No. Pelting people with socks. That's the thing. No. Sounds like our kids. Okay, I know. Just pelting people with socks. So due to the great number of unexplained happenings at the old Alton the bridge has been sub the subject of a number of investigative paranormal shows. Ghost Adventures, and BuzzFeed Unsolved, Supernatural among them. So whatever the old Alton is named after, a terrifying demon or a particularly resilient goat farmer, the bridge is certainly worth the trip. Nature lovers and paranormal enthusiasts alike will love checking out this remarkable historic landmark and the beautiful scenery surrounding it. Just be sure not to cross after 3 a.m. Ooh, we didn't do that today. That makes me want to cross at 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> you think you'd be scared to cross at 3 a.m.? I would. Really? You think you'd be brave enough? Yeah. Would you have to hold your dad's hand to make him brave enough? Probably. Probably. <laughs> Tell us what you think the goat man is. You think it's the demon or you think it's the guy that they hung off the bridge? I think it's the guy that they hung off the bridge. Yeah, it's his spirit that just hangs out there. But why is he still in babies? He wasn't a mean man, though. No. That's why... Okay, this is what I think. I don't think it's the man because he wasn't mean in life. Right. He was a nice guy. Those people were just jackasses. I think it's a demon because he has the goat legs and the goat head like people say Satan does or whatever. Yeah. And like a human body. So he's a demon like my children. So you should have recognized. But what if he teamed up with the demon to kill people? And he hunted, the demon hunted, he hunted the food for the demon. Oh, you think? He's still in babies now? (laughs) He's like, I'm dead. What do I got to lose? Right. (laughs) Or maybe he's farming the goat man. Maybe. (laughs) So I think there was, I'm trying to find... I apologize for any sniffs you guys hear. Yeah. I'm trying to contain them. Um, trying to find this picture of what they're saying. The goat man looks like, sorry. It looks like mm-hmm. Satan. Satin satire. Satire. <laughs> satire on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, is that the end of your story? Yeah. Do you have a story, Lennon? About a goat man? <laughs> um, do you want me to jump into mine then? Yeah. Do you want to hear about my story? Yeah. Sure do. So this is what they kind of say in that. Yeah. He's naked. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. There's someone else that runs around naked. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's your mom. 
No. <laughs> Thank you for sticking up for me, Lynn. Okay, so my story is pretty quick this week, so we will get through it. Um, so the mine is the Servant Girl Annihilator. Do you want to listen to it or do you want to be done with us? I want to listen to it. You want to listen to it? Okay. So the Servant Girl Annihilator is a serial killer, and he was dubbed this... Oh my goodness, Whitley's already losing her brain. Okay. The serial killer would be dubbed the Servant Girl Annihilator, terrorized Austin, Texas, between the late 1884 and Christmas Eve of 1885, which technically Christmas Day is when he really... But anyway, I digress. According to Texas Monthly, the killer murdered seven women, five black and two white, and one black man. Additionally, the killer seriously injured six women and two men. Attacked, he attacked victims in their bed and drugged them outside to mutilate their bodies. All the victims were posed in a similar manner. Six of the murdered women had a sharp object inserted into their ears. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they had like an ear fetish or something? No, I think that was to kill him. He, like, stabbed it into their brains. Um, he has actually been called America's first serial killer, like, before people even thought that that was a thing. Um, Austin was beginning to grow from a small town to a big city with a population of about 14,500. All right, both of ours are from Texas this week. It's weird. How, what coincidence. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's funny. Yeah. Um, Skip Hollinsworth, author of The Midnight Assassin, said, Austin had all the makings of an urban paradise, but instead it became an urban hell. Um, on December 30th, 1884, the killer claimed his first victim. Molly Smith was a young black cook. She was discovered outside in the snow near her employer's home. And she had a gaping axe wound in her head. She had also been stabbed in the chest, abdomen, legs, and arms. It was said that the pool of blood was so big it almost looked like she was floating in it. That's crazy. Yeah. The next one. um, Oh, so Claire Strand and Christine Martinson were two Swedish servant girls. They were seriously wounded on the night of March 19th, 1885. They were not murdered. They were attacked. And it said that it's the same guy. Now this one made me laugh. It didn't make me laugh. That was just really rude. I just meant the date. (laughs) On May 7th, 1885, which this episode airs on May 7th. That's Ledin's birthday. That's what I laughed about, not what happened. I just want to clear that. So the killer struck again. Another young black cook named Eliza Shelley, her head was almost split in two with an axe. Like, almost completely cut in two. And, um, do, 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 yeah, with an axe. Which, today, the day this airs, is the 138th anniversary of the discovery of her body. Dang. Somebody's body was discovered on your birthday. How does that make you feel? (laughs) (laughs) just a sad face okay so not long after on may 23rd of 1885 irene cross another black woman was attacked irene was stabbed multiple times with a knife and 
basically scalp. Do you know what scalped is? Yes. That would suck. Right? Right? <laughs> uh, Clara Dick was seriously wounded on August 1885. So she was, again, just someone that was attacked, not murdered. Yeah. Um, so it's clear that the Annihilator had a choice target and his MO was becoming very apparent. The killer around this time received his name as the Servant Girl Annihilator from William Sidney Porter or better known as the short story writer O. Henry. In a letter he wrote to his friend named Dave Hall in May of 1885, he wrote, Town is dreadfully dull, except for the frequent raids of the servant girl annihilators who make things lively during the dead hours of the night. Which is kind of weird. Like, she's like, oh, my life would be so boring. If this asshat wasn't out here murdering servant girls. Right. What? <laughs> so, with that being said, only the first three victims that were murdered are actually servant girls. On August 30th of 1885, the killer started to escalate. His next victim was 11-year-old Mary Ramey. He drug her outside into a warehouse where he proceeded to rape and stab her. Get ready. Through the ears. He stabbed into her ears, into her brain. Um, Mary's mother, Rebecca, was also seriously wounded in this attack. So if she didn't die, she was attacked. Um, the daughter, though, Mary, she was murdered. The next two victims were killed together on September 28th of 1885. They were a couple named Gracie Vance and Orange Washington, which I've never heard anyone named Orange. I haven't either. <laughs> so um, they were found with their heads bludgeoned. And according to Austin Daily Statesman, Gracie was almost beaten into a jelly, which is effing gross. Where we go? Sorry, I had a cough attack and died. Oh. Okay, so she was beaten into basically a jelly. On Christmas Eve of 1885, there were two more victims. They were both killed in different locations, but unlike all of his previous victims, they were white. The first was Susan Hancock, who was described by one of the reporters as one of the most refined ladies in Austin. Susan's head was basically split in two. She had also been stabbed by a sharp object through her right ear into her brain. The attack took place at Susan's home just before midnight on Christmas Eve. I would suck in kill on Christmas Eve. Right? You're so excited for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. You're talking to We're not getting killed any other time. Just Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. This sucks. <laughs> Christmas. You didn't even open your presents. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second victim was Eula Phillips, a 17-year-old girl. Eula was attacked about an hour after Susan was discovered on Christmas Day. Her head had been crushed by an axe, and a writer for the Fort Worth Gazette reported that she lay on her back, her face turned upward in the dim moonlight, with an expression of agony that death itself had not erased from the features. Eula had been raped and her arms were pinned down by timber. The use of the wood brought up the possibility of another murderer 
maybe in their midst. Hmm. I'm really sorry, guys. I'm dying. So until this point, no one had considered that there could even be more than one murder running amok. <laughs> Where is that from? I don't know. You don't know? Hocus pocus. Hocus pocus. Let me just focus. <laughs> okay, so according to a two th- not two thousand. <laughs> According to a July 2000 article in the Texas Monthly, there was an eyewitness who claimed to have seen the murder, but reported contradictory information to the police. I don't know why they reported that in 2000, though. Right. I don't know if it was just like they were doing like a... I don't know. I don't know. So the killer was variously reported to have been white or dark complected or a yellow man. So basically, they had no clue. He was nobody knows anywhere in between, and um, wearing lamp black to conceal his skin color, or a man wearing a Mother Hubbard style dress, or a man wearing a slouch hat, or a man wearing a hat and a white rag that covered the lower part of his face. I can't see shit out of this thing. <laughs> So, Skip Hollinsworth wrote, Of course, at the time, the phrase serial killer had not even been coined. No one had thought of studying crime scenes to help create psychological profile of a killer. Fingerprinting and blood typing hadn't been invented yet. Hmm. Obviously, it's in like the late 1800s, so. Yeah. Well, at the same time, our bridge was built. Yeah. Look at that. Maybe it was the goat man. Maybe. This is unsolved, so. A team of bloodhounds were used to try to track the killer. Nightly, they would go through Austin. I'm dying. Nightly, they would go through Austin's unpaved streets, sniffing and trying to track him down. Hollinsworth wrote, The Annihilator boldly crisscrossed his city, hunting down women, regardless of race or class, striking quickly on moonlit nights, and then vanishing just as quickly. Police brought in private investigators, hoping they would be able to catch something they couldn't. This, however, caused an even bigger panic in Austin. Then, as quickly as the murders started, they just stopped. There were a few theories as to why this was the case, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But first, we'll talk about some of the suspects. There were around... 400 men arrested in 1885 under suspicion of being the killer. 400 actual arrests. Damn. That's wild. I don't think it's... I don't think it's the goat man. Probably not. I'm looking Austin Square up here. Um, he took a road trip. Alton. He took a road trip. Clear, <laughs> clear down here. Yeah, he took a road trip. Um, and his horse drawn buggy. Yeah. So, 400 arrests. Of 400, none of them were tried. Dang. So, they're just out there arresting men all willy-nilly, hoping something would stick. Right. So, also, some other suspects were Walter Spencer, who was the boyfriend of our first victim, Molly Smith. Walter was acquitted after a two-day trial. Dang. Um, also, 
two suspicious-looking brothers with blood on their clothes. <laughs> hey, you guys look suspicious over there. Well, you got blood on your clothes. Of course you look suspicious. Don't be suspicious. I was going to say that. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Um, the next one is Eula's husband, Jimmy Phillips. The prosecutor claimed he was a copycat killer before this was even a thing. Because obviously serial serial killers weren't a thing. So why would a copycat killer be a thing? Right. Don't worry, I'll cut that sniff out. Um, so they claimed that he used the murders of the Austin black working class as an excuse to kill his unfaithful and beautiful wife. <laughs> So, Philip was initially sentenced to seven years, but the conviction was overturned within six months of him being tried. Susan's husband, Moses Hancock, was also a suspect, and his trial resulted in a hung jury. And this, I just put it here because I kind of thought it was silly. The African-American community and some practitioners of voodoo believed that the killer was a white man who had black magic powers that enabled him to become invisible. And no dogs outside or in fenced yards adjacent to the locations were, where murders occurred were heard to bark or raise any alarms. Don't, Don't mess with the voodoo, voodoo man. He's <laughs> <laughs> a shadow man. Right? I just thought that was silly because they were like, oh, he's a man with powers. He becomes invisible. <laughs> so there are a couple of theories that the Annihilator was actually, in fact, Jack the Ripper who I am also going to cover at a later time. Um, do you know who Jack the Ripper is? Jack Z. Whipper? No, not, Whipper? not Jacques Z. Whipper. <laughs> Jack the Whipper. Or Jack the Ripper. Jack the Whipper. <laughs> Jacques Z. Whipper. He was a famous serial killer in the UK. Why'd they call him famous if he kills people? It was just, it was before serial killers were really a thing. was like, well-renowned. They just call them famous. Well walk, <laughs> so he would walk on the red carpet? No, he's not, like, famous like that. It's like a lot of people know. The red stain. <laughs> um, so the first theory about this is that a Malaysian cook named Maurice, who worked at the Pearl House Hotel in Austin, was the Annihilator told acquaintances that he planned to travel by ship to London in January of 1886, which would have been right after the murder stopped. Yeah. In November of 1888, the Austin American statesman reported a strong presumption that the Malay, I'm assuming it means Malaysian, was the murderer of the Austin women was created by the fact that all of them except two or three resided in the immediate neighborhood of the Pearl House. Are you burping right into my microphone? No. The paper thought it possible that Maurice was responsible for the eight murders in Austin and then traveled across the world to avoid being captured. It was also around this time that Jack the Ripper emerged and began his killing spree. Of course, it's just a theory and there's no evidence. And then, in Shirley Harrison's book, Jack the Ripper, The American Connection, she believes that Jack the Ripper and the Annihilator are the same person, and she believes that the person's name is Jack, Jack, (laughs) is James Maybrick. According to Maybrick's own journals, he was in Austin when the Annihilator murders happened. 
The journal also contained confessions of killing prostitutes, as well as a page signed, Jack the Ripper. James died in May of 1889 of arsenic or strychnine poisoning, possibly from his wife. He died after both murder sprees had ended, or possibly why they ended. Could be. Right? I mean, it's a possibility. Both of those seem plausible, but we also don't know any of these people, so... Right. The murders in Austin took place three years before Jack the Ripper terrorized Whitechapel. Another, so then that was all the Jack the Ripper theories. Now here's, I think, the last one I got for you. Yeah. So another theory presented in 2014 in a 2014 episode of History Detectives accused a man named Nathan, Nathan Eline. Nathan Elgin. Elgin. E L I G N. It's E L G I N. E L I G N. There's an I in there. Oh, it says E L G I N. I type like a crazy person. <laughs> I, it could be so either a lion or Elgin. One of those, because I typed it two different ways. Because I might be dyslexic. I don't know. So, using a combination of historical research and modern techniques including psychological and geographic profiling, they identified a suspect, Nathan Elgin Elline, I don't know, 19-year-old African-American cook in downtown Austin. Elgin worked in a close proximity to the crime scenes and was missing his little toe, which was similar to a footprint believed to have been left by the killer. Nathan was shot by police in February of 1886 after he had dragged a girl out of a saloon he was drinking at and attempted to assault her with a knife. Nathan died of his injuries, which is also possibly why the murder stopped. Um, other names for the servant girl annihilator, which are probably more fitting because he only killed three servant girls, are the Austin Axe Murderer and the Midnight Assassin, which... That sounds cooler than all the other ones. Right. True. <laughs> so. It was the Midnight Assassin. And so, yeah. the end. The end. That's my story. What'd you think? It's good. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, that's all I gotta say about that, man. Yeah. I feel like I'm dying. I sound like I'm dying. I'm sniffing in the microphone. At least tomorrow, we we'll have the crepe food truck coming. Oh, yeah. The crepe? You're hurting my laps. Yeah. Your laps reading my butt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, the crepe truck, the food truck. It's coming to the subdivision. I don't think Mom had to have the crepe on last year because she was didn't. somewhere. I was getting a pedicure or something with my mom. Yeah, I were... ditched you guys. We went and got crepes. Yeah. Chima? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think about this episode, Lemon Bean? Your birthday episode. Yeah. Happy birthday to you. That was really good and fun. Yeah, you had fun? Mm-hmm. You seem like you feel awkward. You feel awkward? You're just talking to me and Dad. <laughs> Ain't nobody be here. Ain't nobody here but us. Ain't nobody beer. <laughs> That's some satire. 
Well, Lenny's got some piano lessons to be getting to, so we are going to end our episode. Really short episode this week. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like I'm dying, and I'm okay with that. Not the dying part, but ending it. Hey, at least it's not on Christmas Eve, all right? <laughs> that would suck. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, go and like our Facebook page. Our Facebook group, Deathly Afraid Podcast. Follow us on Instagram. 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 Ryan, can you finish us out, please? Follow us on Instagram at Deathly Afraid Podcast. You can also send us emails to deathlyafraidpod at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions or stories you want to share with us. Just leaving the subject line, listener stories or listener requests, or you can even message us on Instagram or Facebook and let us know if you have any recommendations you want to hear us talk about. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.